The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this video will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of Acts? You find that uh, after the, uh, the Gospels in the New Testament. I'm going to be reading this morning from Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we're reading verses 1 through to 22, and you can follow with me uh, on the screen if you don't have a Bible there in the, in the pews. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man 
the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is God's word to us this morning. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we uh, come before you this morning around your word together, Father God, again we would ask that what is spoken from my lips, Lord, although it be the words of men, let it not be the wisdom of men, but indeed, Lord, may it be a demonstration of the Spirit's power to us today. Father God, please take my words. Lord, empower them by your Spirit to our hearts, to our lives that it might indeed bring about spiritual transformation within us. Transformation that results in you being glorified and exalted in our lives. And Lord, that, in, that, that, that causes us to want to share the good news of Jesus with those around about us. Lord, we pray this for his name and for his glory. Amen. Well, this morning we continue on in our uh, series in Acts, Acts chapter 9, uh, to the ends of the earth. And if you've got your uh, notes there this morning, you're following along in your uh, study booklets, you might like to jot down this morning the big idea of the, uh, the passage, the big idea of the message today, and it is this, that genuine Christian conversion results in a transformed life. Genuine Christian conversion results in a transformed life. You know, last week we read in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, of the marvelous conversion of the Ethiopian government officially, this treasury official uh, who had come to Jerusalem to worship, was on his way back to Ethiopia or the Sudan in Africa, and uh, he's reading from the, 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 uh, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and uh, God brings Philip alongside him to explain to him the good news of Jesus, starting with that particular passage. You know, here we see God wonderfully and graciously at work pursuing a lost sinner in order to bring him into his family. When we come to Acts chapter 9 this morning, we're going to read another conversion story. In fact, it's probably the most famous conversion story recorded for us in the Bible. It's the account of the conversion of a man named Saul, who would later become known as the Apostle Paul, God's apostle to the Gentiles. He would be uh, uh, the one who would, would uh, be commissioned by God to carry the message of the gospel to the non-Jewish nations of the world. And of course, in this we see a continuation of Christ's fulfillment of the, of the words he said back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where he said that, that, that his disciples would indeed be his witnesses, starting in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and then out to the uttermost parts of the earth. We're up here, we see uh, a bit of a map here this morning, so uh, see if we can get this point of thing to work. No, we can't. All right, okay. Well, we'll uh, you down at the bottom uh, right-hand corner of the screens, your, your screens there, you'll see Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria to the south and north of Jerusalem, and then the uttermost parts of the earth spreading out. And this is where Paul, 
of what the man saw we're going to be looking at this morning is actually going to be taking the message of the gospel right throughout these, uh, these regions known as the Roman Empire in his days, the ends of the earth. And uh, that's what the remainder of Acts is going to be. This is what we're going to be looking at as we continue to work through Acts, beginning from Acts t- chapter 10 next week. Of course, not only is it a fulfillment of Jesus' words to the disciples in Acts 1.8, but what it also is, is a continuation of God's story, of God's promise that he made to Abraham, even way back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, where he said this, He said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That would be the land of Canaan or the modern day Israel. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ in his human descendant came from... came from the descendants of Abraham. And it is through Jesus that all the nations of the earth are blessed because of his saving work through the cross and his resurrection. So we see God's story being weaved out right from the very beginning of the Bible. And now we we pick it up here in Acts where we see this continuation of the, the gospel going out, the good news of God going out into the world, causing people to know his truth and to know that there is salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. You know, Luke, the writer of Acts, sees this particular conversion, this the conversion of Saul as being so significant that he actually recounts it three times in this book. Here in Acts chapter 9, we'll, we'll, we'll see it again in Acts chapter 22, where Paul is, is giving a defense of himself before the Jewish mob in Jerusalem, a mob that is intent on killing him because of his faith in Jesus and that he's proclaiming that. And then finally, we'll see it again. We'll read it again in Acts chapter 26, where Paul is on trial before King Agrippa prior to his being sent to Rome. Of course, if the truth be told, you know, there are probably people we know of in our lives who we might think will never come to faith. You know, you've ever ever sort of thought about that of some people in your lives, people you know, you think, how on earth will this person ever come to faith in Jesus Christ? I don't think that we necessarily doubt God and his ability. I think it's just that we know that, that these people are just so entrenched in their disbelief and their antagonism towards God that in our opinion, they appear to be just lost causes. And their salvation seems incredibly unlikely. You know, if ever there was a man who would to fit into this kind of category would have to be this man Saul. He was a devoted enemy of Christianity and all who practiced it. In fact, he didn't just hate Christianity. He didn't just hate Christians. He was trying to do everything within his power to completely stamp it out. As chapter 9 opens, we read these words. Follow along with me. It says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Still breathing threats and murder. Of course, this takes us back to the end of chapter 7, where uh, we see that uh, we read about the stoning of Stephen, again, one of Jesus' disciples. He's a faithful and devout follower of Christ. 
who had publicly testified in Jerusalem of the reality of Jesus, that he is indeed the Son of God, that he died on the cross, and that the Jews were guilty of putting him to death, but that he had risen from the dead, exalted before, exalted to the right hand of God. And of course, this caused the Jews to be absolutely in uproar, that he was proclaiming blasphemy as, you know, according to them. And so they sought to stone Stephen. And uh, whilst they're stoning him, we read that uh, looking on and giving approval to his death was this man Saul. We read that in, in Acts chapter 7, verses 51 to 56. I'll let you go back and look at that yourselves a little bit later on. But then in Acts, Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, we're then told that Saul started to spearhead, if you like, a concerted effort to eradicate the church. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. It's kind of like that imagery we sometimes see you know, in, in movies or historical kind of uh, 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 films where we see the, you know, uh, perhaps nations, the uh, army like the Nazis who would go, you know, when they were going through Europe and they were going house to house on the, you know, seeking out Jews to, to, to cart away and to put in concentration camps only to execute them. The fact that, that, that Saul was willing not only to treat men so ruthlessly but also women you know, speaks volumes about the brutality of this man. So intent was he on the complete annihilation of Christians that he goes to the high priest in order to get letters that he would take to the synagogue leaders in Damascus, just some 300 kilometers north of Jerusalem, a place that many of the believers had fled, fled to because of the outbreak of, of, of persecution in Jerusalem. And he would give the, uh, the synagogue leaders these letters of authority to seek out and arrest any Jews that they found were followers of Jesus, followers of, of what is referred to here as the way. And he would take them back with him to Jerusalem to be tried and killed. It's a picture of a, of a wild beast of a man. That's the, the kind of image we need to have in our minds here. A wild beast of a man who is so vicious, so vicious in his nature toward Christians that he has no qualms whatsoever in torturing them and killing them. And in this, he believed that he was being faithful to God and to God's law. Now, it's no wonder that you would expect that Saul would be the least likely person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Nor was he the kind of person you might want God to show his favour towards. But it was as he was nearing Damascus that this incredibly cruel and evil man met Jesus. He met Jesus. And it would lead to him being completely changed and transformed in his life. If you're following along with your, as I said, your study booklets today, here's one of the, uh, the first point we're going to be looking at this morning. The spiritual trans transformation begins with an encounter with the risen Jesus. You know, in other accounts, in, in the other accounts of, 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 of Saul's uh, conversion, we, in, in Acts 22 and 26, we're told that this encounter 
took place at midday. It doesn't tell us that here, but it tells us in these other accounts that it took place at midday. The sun is, you know, they're, they're coming in, into Damascus. The sun is, is high in the sky, and all of a sudden, a light that, that, that makes the sun actually pale in comparison suddenly shine around Saul, causing him to fall to the ground. You ever tried to look into the sun? It's probably not a smart thing to do. But as you know, if you, if you look at it, you, you just can't. You can, can you? It's just so blindingly, you know, glaring in its intensity and its power that you, you just can only just look at it just for a brief, you know, brief millisecond, like looking into these lights here in the, you know, in the church. <clears throat> but even that kind of light, the, 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 the blazing radiance of the sun there in the sky and in all its its radiance at, at midday it pales into comparison to all of a sudden the light that, that shines around Saul the radiance and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ you know whenever we find examples in scripture of of sinful man encountering the holy God we see that it often has dramatic effects causes people to fall to the ground in, in terror and in awe. You know, folks, we need to just pause here for a moment and we just need to reflect on this, of what is taking place here, of what, of, of, of the, the kind of, of radiant and majestic and glorious and, and powerful presence of the Lord Jesus Christ is confronting Saul with right here on this road. I wonder, how do you perceive Jesus? What kind of image, what kind of perception, what kind of picture do you have in your mind of who Jesus is? Now, can I suggest to you this morning that perhaps the way we view Jesus actually has significant impl implications in terms of our own discipleship, our own following of Jesus. Some people have the impression about Jesus that he's this, this meek and mild, gentle and loving, kind and caring, best friend kind type of, of person who, who we just really enjoy kind of having around. But, you know, he doesn't expect too much from us, but, you know, he's always there ready to forgive us. This, you know, that, that, that sometimes those pictures we see of this, this very serene kind of person with the long, blonde locks and the pale complexion, with the halo around, you know, around the, the, the top of his head, with the, the, the cradling of the little lamb in his arms, you know, that real gentle, meek and mild kind of Jesus, you know, the kind of Jesus I'm speaking of? Yeah. For many of us, that, that, that's the kind of, of picture of Jesus that we have. You know, this type of Jesus, in many ways, is he, he's really easy to ignore. He's really easy to ignore. Now, we've got no problem in dismissing him when it comes to the, the choice between following our desires and following his. Because he's kind of just this, this kind of nice, gentle, meek and mild kind of person, it's easy for us just to, to push him to the side. Yeah, it's sure, the Bible teaches that the Jesus is indeed many of these things. In fact, in Matthew 11, verses, verses 28 to 30, Jesus himself says, that he is indeed gentle and lowly in heart. But the Bible also teaches that Jesus is the almighty and all-powerful and all-glorious 
and holy son of God. Who invokes absolute reverent fear by his very presence. This kind of Jesus is certainly much harder to dismiss or ignore, isn't it? Folks, we need to keep a balanced view of him. And we read in the scriptures in Philippians 2 that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is indeed God. And Paul encountered the risen glorious Jesus there in, in, in and I, I believe even, even in, in the, the, the sheer magnitude of the radiance of the light and the glory of Christ that, the, that shone around Saul there on the road to Damascus, that that, folks, was even just probably a, a tiny, only a tiny glimpse of the majesty and the glory of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ that Saul was confronted with there on that day. Folks, we, we, we desperately need a bigger picture of Jesus in our lives. How on earth are we expected to think that Jesus can enable us to have power and victory over, over the deep sins that grip us in our life? How on earth can we ever think that Jesus has got the power and authority and majesty in order to impact this world with his love, with his grace and with his truth? If we think of Jesus only as this meek and mild kind of little character, you know, cuddling this lamb, how will we ever think that that kind of Jesus can indeed be the one who is actually going to change and transform us in our lives and is going to change and transform our world? We need that kind of picture of Jesus. We need that understanding of Jesus in our lives. We cannot treat Jesus as though he is someone whom we can just ignore, that we can just push off to one side like this, this, little, you know, the, you know, this little kind of, you know, just think of, of, of just a, a, perhaps a, a bit of an illustration here. You know, the Bible speaks of Jesus as both the Lion of Judah and a Lamb. You know, when it comes to a little kind of, you know, cute little fluffy lamb with his little tail and that sort of thing, you know, we think of Jesus like that. Little lambs, they're easy to push away, aren't they? They're easy to ignore. They, you know, they're easy to sort of just think that we can just, we, we've got the power and, 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 and that over those little lambs. But Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Any of you who've seen the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, any of the, the C.S. Lewis kind of movies we've seen, the Aslan, the lion, He's a terrifying beast. You know, if Jesus was to come in all of his majesty and his glory right here this morning, here in this place, I guarantee that every single one of us would have to fall on our knees, fall face down on the floor and worship him in his majesty and his splendor and his glory. Our sin would be so real to us so desperately real to us that we would just cry out, oh, Lord God, please forgive us. Please forgive us. We repent in absolute humility. It's this. He is the Jesus who we need, folks. He is the Jesus who our world needs today. And yes, he is a loving, 
compassionate, merciful, glorious Saviour. And it was this Jesus in all his glory and in radiant holiness who appeared to Saul, struck him down in fear and awe. And folks, spiritual transformation will only start to take place in our lives if we are confronted first and foremost with that picture of Jesus. The second point this morning is this, that spiritual transformation is dependent upon a proper understanding of the identity of the risen Jesus. Because as Saul lay there on the ground, a voice spoke to him saying this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Saul asks who it is that is speaking to him, and the reply is, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. There's a couple of things to note here. The first is this, that Jesus tells Saul that even though Saul is inflicting all kinds of, of torment and suffering on, on, on Jesus' people, the church, Jesus makes it clear that it is actually himself whom Saul is attacking primarily. And folks, there's a great comfort here for the disciples of Jesus. There's a great comfort here for us as the people of God. That no matter what we face in this world, our Saviour Jesus is aware of it. He's aware of and feels our pain. He feels your pain and he feels my pain. Isn't that a comforting thing to know? That our Lord and Saviour Jesus, there in heaven, still knows. He understands and he feels. As Hebrews reminds us, he is our great high priest who is able to sympathise with us in all our weaknesses. You know, later in his ministry, Saul, or the Apostle Paul, were right using the analogy of a body to describe the church and its relation to Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul will speak about the fact that Jesus is the head and we are the body. He will speak of the fact that, that we are are in fact when we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, when we, when we understand who Jesus is, when we, when we come before him in repentance and faith, that Paul says that we are actually baptised into Jesus. Like, so I don't know if you realise it or not today, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have come to a, a saving faith in Jesus Christ, repented of your sin and put your trust in him as your saviour, the, the scriptures are very clear on this, that we are indeed united to Christ. We are baptised into him, that we are joined to him. In fact, one of Paul's most common phrases throughout his letters is that believe, as believers, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We are connected to Jesus in, in, in a way in which I, I, I don't think many of us really grasp properly the the, the, the significance and the importance of. Because it's only as we are joined together with Christ that, it, that, that we receive his righteousness 
and are able to stand before a holy God in the, in, in the righteousness and the goodness of Christ. And that because Jesus himself has paid for all our sins, because Jesus himself has, has reconciled us to God, that all of the blessings that are Christ are now ours in him. All of the promises that Jesus says that, that he has fulfilled, and now we are the recipients of those very promises in Christ. And because we are joined to Christ, Jesus is so intimately knowledgeable of us in our lives. He knows. He understands. What a glorious magnificent, wonderful, precious Saviour, Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Second thing to note here is that suddenly Saul is confronted with the undeniable fact that Jesus is indeed alive, and therefore he is indeed the risen, the risen Messiah, the risen Son of God. Something which Saul has been denying his entire life. I think this has got to be one of probably something of a, of, a, of a monumental revelation to Saul about who Jesus is. In fact, I don't think we can even grasp the, the, the actual magnitude of what all of a sudden the, 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 the truth that Saul is confronted with here. Jesus himself the very Son of God who, who took on flesh, who entered into our world, who entered into our mess, and who today enters into the mess of our lives in order to bring his truth and his forgiveness and his cleansing and, his, and, his, has the, and, and the light of his majesty and glory. This is, the, this is the Jesus whom we, folks, we need to have this picture of Christ in our Christian faith is founded on, on, on certain objective facts about Jesus as the Son of God, that he was one with the Father before the very creation of the world. The Bible tells us that through him all things were made. In fact, everything that has been made was made through him and by him. That he became incarnate, he entered into our world, born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life in obedience to God, that he died on a cross as a substitute for our sin, that he was buried, but that he rose again on the third day, that he appeared over a period of 40 days to, to over 500 people, you know, and that he ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God. And that one day he is going to come again to judge the living and the dead. Folks, these are the concrete bedrock foundations of our faith. And if we're not convinced of them ourselves, then how on earth can we ever hope to convince the world around about us? And how will we ever live in light of the knowledge and the truth of Jesus if we're not convinced of these very things ourselves in our lives? 
You see, a person's eternal destiny is dependent entirely upon what they believe about Jesus and how they respond to that truth. And folks, if you are a person sitting, listening to this message, whether it be today or later on via the, the, uh, the, the YouTube recording, whatever, this is the, the question, the very foundational question that every single one of us must come to a decision about in our lives. Who is Jesus? And the decision that we come to on that will determine our whole eternity. The passage tells us that Saul was the only one to see Jesus that day. It says those who were with him saw the light, they heard the voice, but they did not see Jesus. And, you know, folks, that reminds me you know, that we ourselves today, you know, people around about us, that they can, they can hear the voice of Jesus through, you know, whether or not it be through, through Christians you know, proclaiming it, whether or not they're reading the word of God themselves, whether it's through media or whatever, whatever ways that they can hear the word of Jesus. Sometimes they can be impressed by, by perhaps the, something of the light of the glory of Jesus, whether or not they see, you know, a, a demonstration of God's power in some way and yet still miss seeing Jesus, the person of Jesus. And the risk that we take of being people who come week after week after week of sitting in these pews, of hearing the word of Jesus, hearing the voice of Jesus, perhaps seeing something of the glory of Jesus, yet not encounter the very person of Jesus in our lives, willing to perhaps push him away like the little lamb instead of coming in trembling fear before the lion, then we can just so easily just continue on our merry way. And this spiritual transformation we're talking about here just does not happen. It is too easy for us to sit here in these pews on a Sunday morning thinking that we are saved when in actual fact if there is no evidence of spiritual transformation in our lives and in our hearts then we've got to start asking ourselves the question have we truly met the risen Jesus? In person. Have you met the living Jesus? Truly, have you met him? Have you come before him humbly, surrendering, submitting yourself to him as the Lord of all creation, the King of kings, the Lion of the tribe of Judah? Have you come humbly before him, acknowledging him in all his majesty and his glory, recognizing your sin before him, and confessing, repenting, and seeking forgiveness of you. I pray that you have. You know, Saul's conversion here in this book provides, I believe, some of the most uh, wonderful and important and significant evidence of Jesus' true identity that we could hope to have. Saul is indeed a very historical figure. I don't know if you knew that, but he is. There are countless you know, records of, of, of this man's life. 
the, hist the historicity of his life. This man was completely changed and transformed from being someone who was so opposed, so willing to just completely destroy the church of Jesus Christ, but then in a moment, his life is completely changed, completely turned around, and all of a sudden he becomes God's chosen messenger to the world with the gospel of Jesus. We cannot ignore the evidence we have right here before us in the words that we're reading today in Acts, our stories. Has your life been changed? If you call yourself a believer in Jesus, has your life changed? And if so, can you point to the evidence of that transformation? Can you point to the evidence of the fact that Jesus is indeed at work in your life and in your heart? Finally, oh, sorry, next point, and these, are, these last two are very, very brief. Spiritual transformation is nurtured through fellowship with other believers. We see in this passage... Know from verse 10 that God sends a man called Ananias to come alongside Saul and encourage him, encourage him to, to trust God and obey him. You know, Ananias guided Saul in taking his first steps in the faith and may have also been the one who baptized Saul. Although the passage doesn't make that clear, he may very well have been the one who baptized him. And Saul, we read, stays with the disciples at Damascus. For some days, it says in verse, uh, in verse 19, for some days he was with the disciples there in Damascus. I wonder what was going on at that point. You know, I, sometimes, I like to sort of just, just sit for a, for a time and just think about what it might have been for the disciples there. He, they, they were terrified of, the, of, of Saul, absolutely petrified of this man. That This man was the one who was going to come and, and seek to, to, to take them away, to lock them up and to eventually kill them. And yet all of a sudden we find Saul right there in the very midst of them, a changed and transformed man. And, and, and I, I can only sort of start to, to surmise what may have been the kind of conversations that went on there as Saul spent time with the disciples there in Damascus following this, this incredible encounter, this life-changing encounter. How Paul may have been just praising and worshipping God, how the disciples would have been praising and worshipping God together, how they would have been, been saying, Saul, we just cannot believe the change that's come over you, the, the work that God has wrought in your life through his spirit. And we just want to praise him and give him all the glory because of his grace and his mercy and his kindness. You know, folks, God has placed us in a body a body of believers. And as the body of Christ, we too need to draw alongside one another. We need to, to, to comfort one another. We need to encourage one another. As the scriptures remind us in Hebrews, we need to stir one another up 
in our faith and in our knowledge and our understanding of God stir one another up to, to love and, and to good works for God. We need to come alongside. We need to, 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 to speak the truth to one another. We need to speak the word of God into one another's lives. Folks, are you doing that with one another? How are you going about doing that? You know, one of the primary ways that we as a church continue to do that is not just by meeting together here on a Sunday, but, but through the week, getting together with other believers in the Lord and seeking to, to be in the Word of God together, be speaking to, you know, seeking to, to encourage each other, to continually remind ourselves that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God has paid for our sins, that God is with us, that God is working out His purposes and has called us to be his instruments in this world, together. Are you doing that? Oh, please be doing that. Spiritual transformation is nurtured through fellowship with other believers. And finally, spiritual transformation is seen in a person's willingness to serve God no matter what the cost. And having been convinced of the truth about Jesus, Saul immediately begins to proclaim Jesus and his gospel. Look at verse 20. It says, And immediately he, that is Saul, proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed at this. They were amazed at the transformation that had taken place in this man. He goes on to say that Saul increased all the more in strength and he, he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Folks, if we are indeed a, a, a believer in Jesus, if indeed the Spirit of God has worked in our lives, the outworking of that will be that we will want to tell others the good news of Jesus. We won't be able to keep that in, folks. Paul was convinced of who Jesus was. And nothing from that moment on was going to deter him in serving his Lord. Even if it meant that he would have to suffer for it, he was willing to do that because he knew who Jesus was. He was convinced of who Jesus was in his mind, in his heart. We live in a culture that is growing more and more opposed to the Christian faith and to people who practice it. And it causes us, I know because it causes me, to want to shrink back in fear. I don't want to be I don't want to be opposed. I don't want people to, to ridicule me and, and slander me. I don't want people to you know to make fun of me and, and, and think that I'm kind of some some kind of you know crazy person because I believe what the Bible says. I believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. I don't want that. Folks, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Who do we love more? Do we love ourselves and our own comfort more than what we love Jesus? 
and thankful for all that he's done for us in our lives. Paul was given this commission to go and take the gospel to the nations, and we too have been given that same commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, proclaiming. And we're called to be faithful to this in the knowledge that Jesus is with us. Folks, Saul took the claims of Jesus incredibly seriously. He never deviated from his conviction or his calling. And as I said, it would bring tremendous suffering and hardship to his life, but it would also bring the greatest of joys, the most glorious of joys, the highest of highs in his life. And the thing that kept him going, I'm sure, was this remarkable encounter on a road outside the city of Damascus where he met the risen Jesus. I know that some of us have had quite quite dramatic conversion experiences. I'm one of those. Some of us below have had perhaps a knowledge and awareness of Jesus all through our lives and perhaps you might not be able to pinpoint you know a a specific time and place where you came to faith in jesus like saul but the question we need to ask ourselves in light of this passage today is this am i convinced deep down in my very being that jesus is who he says he is are you convinced are you convinced If so, how is that reflected in your life? How is it reflected in your life? Folks, Jesus knows that we're all fallible, weak human beings. He knows that we fail continually. And I know sometimes from my own personal experience that sometimes we get to a point in our lives where we think, really, Lord, surely you 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 have lost patience with me. Surely, Lord, I have just done my dash with you. Surely, Lord, you know, there is no coming back for me in terms of my discipleship with you. I think, Lord, I've, I've failed you so often, so frequently, that, Lord, how could you ever give me another chance? And yet, we see here in this passage that Paul, the chief of sinners, he refers to himself. I have found grace and forgiveness in Christ. And each and every one of us as well, no matter how far we've gotten away from God, no matter the depth of our sin before God, can find forgiveness and hope and new life in him. 
And perhaps today may, may be that day where you want to you you set out on that new start with Jesus. He offers you that today, folks. In his grace and in his mercy, he offers you that today. Folks, our community here doesn't need a church of people who are just content to come along here on a Sunday to be in our holy little huddle and just to be about just kind of singing our, our praise songs and, and that sort of thing, you know, just kind of going along as though, you know, we can have one foot in God's camp and one foot in the world's camp. Our world doesn't need those kind of people. The kind of people our world needs today are people who are ready to stand up for the name of Jesus with the courage and the boldness that he gives us in our lives and to get out there and proclaim it. Proclaim it from the rooftops, folks. That Jesus is indeed the Lord of all and he's the one who can change our lives, who can give us a fresh start, who can, who can give meaning and purpose and power and significance to us in our lives, not for our good but for his glory. That's the kind of church this, this community needs. Will we be that church? Will we be that church with the help of God? Will we commit ourselves to one another to being that kind of church for Jesus Christ? Will we? Oh, I pray we do. Thanks for watching this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.